Welcome to the King's Chapel, Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. Uh, I want to go ahead and um, get right into the Word, because I believe that God has sent, uh, has sent me and my wife uh, and Grace here on an assignment, because God wants to begin to unleash a fresh thing, a new thing, a powerful thing in the midst of a new generation. And immediately, you know, we, we took a, a late night flight to come into Alaska. Amazingly, we came in at midnight and it was still like daytime, right? So I was just like, I'm so confused right now. I don't know what to do. I don't know whether I should be sleepy. I don't know if I should, you know, fall asleep. I don't know what I should be doing. I was just so confused. But immediately what God began to tell me is he says, you're not going to a youth conference. You're going to a leadership conference. You're going into a conference where you're not addressing young people and children and kids, but you're actually addressing the leaders of the future. You're addressing those that have uh, been positioned for such a time as this, where it doesn't matter your history or your past. It doesn't matter whether you've been in church your entire life or whether you just came a couple of weeks ago, or even if you're sitting on the fence inside of this sanctuary, unsure of whether you even believe in this or not. God wants you to know that he doesn't look at you as a kid or a child or a victim of your circumstances. He looks at you. As a leader of the future, he looks at you as one that carries an authority where before you were were even born, before your parents even thought about you, he looked at you and he said, I'm going to, I'm going to begin to mend. I'm going to begin to sew together the very fiber of who you are in a way where you're going to shake the nations. You know what I love about God is that when he forms you, when he puts you together, when he knits together the elements of who you are, he always has the intention that even you are going to be the one that will shake the nations. That you are the one that is going to be life-changing. You're the one that is going to begin to shape even the reality around you to reflect his heart in the midst of the world. You are a leader of the future. And so... What we're going to begin to start seeing is over the next few services and the next few times where I'm getting a chance to speak to you is that we're going to begin to, one, understand your position and your calling as a leader of the future. And then we're going to also begin to share with you things that have helped us to be able to hear God in our life because we want to add value to you. We want to impart. We want to empower you with the tools that have helped us answer the call of God on our life because God wants to do the same thing in your life but he also wants to do so much more. He wants to do even greater, even beyond what you've ever seen demonstrated in you. But how many of you know that as invested as God is in your success and your calling as a leader, there is an enemy that is equally as invested in seeing you manifest the opposite and the least of what you could possibly be. You have an enemy that comes in that is fully invested in making sure that every part of you, every aspect of your potential is robbed before you ever get a chance to accept it or receive it. And the way that he does this is he uses these strategies. He uses these traps and these things that we're going to expose over the next few days. Because when we are able to nip them in the bud, what ends up happening is that you then begin to be surrounded by the voice of the Lord in your life. 
where all of a sudden the lies of the enemy that have made you and, and tried to convince you that you're less than, that, that you're always going to be a victim of your circumstances, when we are able to expose the plan of the enemy and cast it out of your life, there's an amazing thing that happens. All of a sudden, the voice of the Lord fills the void of all of it and begins to surround you in a reality that you never knew existed. God is going to do something in your life tonight and in this swell conference that is not marked or planned by a man, but it is marked by the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, if I've been here a few years. I've shared with you my testimony. I've shared with you about where I was in a situation just like this. I was in a, in a youth conference and all of these things. And you know what's interesting was that the people that were running the conference are not nearly as cool as the people running this conference. Okay, they were not nearly as good looking. They were not nearly as anointed. All right. In fact, they were really dysfunctional people. They were. You are so fortunate to be at a KC Youth Conference because the ones in New York are not this way. And so I was at this conference, and in spite of the dysfunction, I, I challenged God in this youth conference, this youth event. Now, here's the thing. I don't want you to walk away saying, all right, you know, David just said I could challenge God. I'm not saying that. But I was a hot mess when I went to a, to a youth conference like this, and I challenged God. And I told him, I said, I don't even think that you're real, but if you're real, you better come talk to me. Otherwise, I never even want to hear your name mentioned around me ever again. That's how broken I was. That was how rejected I felt because of my life. God encountered me in the midst of that dysfunctional summer camp in upstate New York where the cabins had no air conditioning and the mosquitoes really liked Chinese food. I mean, man, talk about hunger, right? That was, that was a different kind of hunger. And can I tell you, that in spite of the dysfunction and the natural circumstances, I encountered a God that was more passionate about encountering me than I was of encountering him. And when he came to me in that moment of brokenness, he spoke to me for the first time. And for three hours, he spoke to me about my purpose and my calling. He told me that where I thought that I had messed up my life because of my failures, that he was going to be able to restore it and fix it. And then for the next few years, uh, for the next few hours, he showed me what I was going to do for the next few years of my life. And can I tell you that what I heard laying in that floor, on that cold concrete floor at that summer camp, that even right now, I am still walking a place of fulfillment where that that which was promised, I'm walking in now. It's a crazy, crazy thing. It's an insane thing. But I want you to know that God, we all know this, God is not a respecter of persons. That when God does something in one person, it is not an exclusionary thing, but it is the very thing where it's an invitation saying, I want to do the same thing. I want to do even more in your life than even what you're hearing from all these other people. And so can I tell you that I have walked this journey where I understand the value and the beauty of God's voice. The beauty of, there's something that happens where you've grown up your entire life, and even if you have family and parents and people that love you and want the best for you, there is a difference between what their expectation of who you are is versus the way that God has designed and called you to walk through. 
There is a difference in the midst of that. And so uh, that's why God's voice is so important because, you see, man operates in a place of limitation based on past experience and past understanding. But you see, you are built for a future that has yet to arrive, which means that you need someone to tell you about what is inside of you that does not operate out of the past, but operates in the past, the present, and the future where he is living at the very end of where you are and says, I know where you're called to be. I know where you're meant to end up. So I'm going to speak to you from your future to pull you from the trauma of your past, from the victimhood of what you've experienced. I'm going to pull you from your past into your present and begin to cause you to begin to manifest your future. This is the incredible thing about God's voice. This is the reason why prophecy and hearing him in your life personally is so important because what it does is that when you live in an atmosphere of the voice of God, it begins to cause your very spiritual DNA to change. It begins to cause the very thing that was molded inside of you based on the past, good, bad, or ugly. It begins to cause that to begin to reverberate and come alive on the inside of you, where all of a sudden, you are no longer fit. You are no longer built for the world around you presently. But all of a sudden, you begin to reflect a future that you begin to shape because you now resonate with the voice of the Father. This is an incredible opportunity. This is an incredible moment because here's the thing is that we are living in a time where God is calling a generation of young people to be able to live the manifestation of this reality, to be able to demonstrate to the rest of the body of Christ what is possible in him. I believe that right now, if you're listening to the sound of my voice and you're a young person, even if you're an emotional young person, just like Pastor Daniel and Pastor Karen, how many of you, they're timeless. They're forever young, okay? But here's the thing that's interesting is that if you're listening to the sound of my voice, God says that you're called in this moment to demonstrate the impossible to a generation that is hopeless. So there's a scripture that I want to read to you. It's a very uplifting verse, very, very hype verse. It's quoted in every youth conference throughout time, okay? I think in the time of, the, of, of even the early days, it was mentioned. This is very uplifting scripture, and it's Acts chapter 7, verse 59. Oh, no, actually, no, let's go back. Let's, let's get even more hyped on this. Let's go verse 57, When the Jewish leaders heard this, they put their hands over their ears. Then they shouted very loudly at Stephen, and they all ran towards him. They took hold of Stephen, and they pulled him out of the city. They removed their coats. They gave them to a young man to keep them safe. This young man was called Saul. Then they began to throw stones at Stephen to kill him. I told you it was uplifting. This is beginning of a very epic self-help book, I can tell. Verse 59, when the men were throwing stones at him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, please receive my spirit as I die. Then he fell down on his knees. He shouted, Lord, please forgive these men. Do not punish them because they are doing this to me. After Stephen said this, he died. 
Well, I'm just going to just go ahead and stand up. We're going to close. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. That was, woo, man, that's, that's intense. There's a lot of things going on inside of this verse. And when you're looking at it, it's very interesting. I want to highlight this one part. They took hold of Stephen. They pulled him out of the city. They removed the men of the city, the religious leaders in the city, removed their coats, and they gave them to a young man. What kind of man? to keep them safe. This young man, what kind of man? Was called Saul. Then they began to throw stones at Stephen to kill them. The story is very interesting because not only do we see Stephen being stoned, but we also see another thing taking place. We see Saul standing in the midst of a persecution an execution, and we see the men of the city giving him their mantles. They are taking their coats, that which defines them and identifies them, and lays them at the feet of Saul. Think about the prophetic picture of what is being happening here, is that you see a war raging, in the life of Saul. He is being confronted with the religious systems of the day that want to stifle the power of the Holy Spirit and the revelation of the fact that Jesus died for their sins. And he is fighting against his culture, his upbringing, and the men in the city that are establishing the the identity and the atmosphere in which he lives in. In fact, Saul's standing is based on his being approved by the men that are about to stone Stephen. And then what you see about Saul is that he is also being confronted with the existence of a man that is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He is being confronted by a man that has given of himself, that has willingly died to himself before a single stone is thrown. And in the face of persecution, with the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit, he willingly gives his life while asking for the forgiveness of the very ones that would seek to end his life. So what you see is Saul is confronted with the same decision that this generation is living under. I believe that what God is saying this week is that he wants to release an Apostle Paul anointing upon a generation. He wants to release uh, the destiny, the anointing, the calling of a radical reformer on the inside of you that has seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of what has come, but has also had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that has endued him with such power and such might where all of a sudden he can stand in the face of even equal persecution, even greater persecution, and he can say, this is what the Lord is saying over my generation. This is what the Lord is wanting to bring into your life. And he can shape and imprint a future in which we are now even still feeling the reverberations today. You are still experiencing the weight of what Saul experienced in that moment where he sees a man who it doesn't look like it in the natural. He's living this, he's being persecuted and all that stuff. But there's something inside of Stephen. And we understand what it is. It says that the Holy Spirit fills Stephen 
in which he can not only see the Father, but he can see the Son. And so what we see in Stephen in that moment is the synergy and the culmination of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in operation in his life. I want you to know that even though there are some of you in here, you feel like you're new to this. You feel like you're, you're, I'm just 16, I'm just 15. There's no way God has called me to something like this. I want you to know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the divine trinity that got together at the beginning of time and said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, the very same trinity that came and said, I have a plan for humanity, that very same trinity wants to live on the inside of you to be able to convince you that there is greatness on the inside of you, that there is transformative power in you, and that now is the time, not when you're old, not when you're you're 100 years old, but now in your teen years, could God do something where he makes you a sign and a wonder? Where you're 14 years old, you're sitting in a restaurant, and you can see the pain on people, and you have a word of the Lord where all of a sudden you're confronting people three and four times your age and saying, I have a word from God for you. Could you imagine how God wants to use you as a leader that leads those that have lived a life and have maybe been in church for 30, 40 years, but they have, you have a word that begins to set them on a trajectory of breakthrough. You are not simply a youth. You are a leader of the future. You are the living embodiment of the Trinity operating here on earth. You are the you are unstoppable. You are unbreakable. You are the one that God has said that there were generations that came before you that prayed and say, Lord, will there be a man? Will there be a woman? Will there be an individual that can answer the fruition, the thing that I have cried out for, for revival? And God at the very beginning, where generations earlier, he says, oh, yeah, I've got someone. They're in Wasilla, Alaska sitting at a swell conference. And while a five foot five Asian man is shouting really, really loud, I am coming with a gentle whisper to awaken their spirit for revival. Over the, the voice of a man, there is, the soul, there is the call and the wooing of the Holy Spirit that says now is your time. So this is the interesting thing is we go to verse 1 of chapter 8 of Acts, right? So Saul sees all of this craziness happening. He sees this power of a man, but he's also confronted with the pulling of the religious system of the day. I'll tell you, there are many people that did not start out being extremely religious, dysfunctional, and broken. But the pull of the system of what has been can sometimes be so great Your fear of rejection from the church community can be so intense that you are willing to go against what is in front of your very eyes that the Holy Spirit is showing you if it means that you will not be rejected by those that are supposed to know more than you. You see, Saul, he mentions it inside of his letters to the churches, is that he's on the fast track of becoming the most learned man in all of Israel. He is the most anointed uh, in the eyes of the religious system. He is the most intellectually uh, gifted and sharp and astute. He's all of these things. And so what you see is that Saul has a choice in that moment. 
Do I go with what I'm seeing and what I feel in Stephen? Or do I choose to conform so that I can receive all the things that I've worked so hard to receive? And so thankfully, we hear Saul's response in verse 1 of chapter 8. It says this, Saul was standing there while the Jewish leaders killed Stephen. He agreed with what they did. That was anticlimactic. You know, I'm thinking like it's some sort of like high school musical, you know, like moments, you know, where the music starts playing and Saul comes up. He goes, this is not right. This is wrong. And he covers Stephen with his back while the rocks just come. And he's like, I got you, Stephen. We're in this together. And they die on that mountain. That's what I wanted to see. And instead, what I see is a man afraid just holding people's jackets, accepting the mantle of what has been. Now, before I move forward, I want, I want, you to, I want to share something with you to help us in this process, right? Because here's the thing, is that despite all of the dysfunction, despite where we have been, many of us have been in church for a long time, you can see the good, the bad, the ugly, the crazy, the, all of those different things. You can see all of the flaws. But can I tell you something? Is that Jesus looks at the same body of Christ and he says they're beautiful. There is a love that Jesus has for this body that we see in the world that may be broken, may be dysfunctional. But he says, I'm not seeing based on what they have been, but I am seeing based on what I have called them to be. And so you see, the reason why, you know, people who get offended at church and people get angry at the dysfunction of church, you know why they never produce any lasting fruit? Is because they are waiting to get their pound of flesh rather than being willing to give their flesh to see the body healed. So can I tell you that me, in my life, one of the hardest, most difficult processes that I had to get through was to get over my own feeling of victimization because I didn't receive the best upbringing in church. I had to get over every reason and justification that I had about why the church was broken. And I had to allow God to come into my life and say, God, show me how beautiful your body is. Show me how beautiful your church is. Show me how beautiful the bride of Christ is. And allow me to be able to see things your way. You see, what happens is, is that when we allow God to begin to take away our justifications for why we dislike the church and hate the church, he gives us a purpose to restore it. He gives us the purpose. He gives us our mantle of leadership in the midst of that moment where he says, now that you have my heart, you understand that my body is beautiful. My church is beautiful. Now let me give you the tools to be able to fix it. I want to say that really, really quickly because right now we're living in an environment where there are people who are waiting with rocks and stones that are like, the church is broken. We need to begin to deconstruct our faith. We need to break it all down. We need to decimate it. Did you know that deconstruction is a huge thing right now? 
We have people that have been in in church and all of these things. They think that the answer is to burn it all down. But can I tell you that the answer is not to burn it down. The answer is to save what is beautiful and then go into the work to build upon what is beautiful so that wholeness and completeness can come. And so that's what we're doing. So, So as I'm moving forward, we're talking about the dysfunction, all those things. We have to be willing to say, but God, what you've called the church to is beautiful. And I want to be a part of rebuilding it. And so what we see is that Saul, in that moment, he totally goes against my, the screenplay that I had envisioned for him in my mind, okay? He doesn't go in there, and he doesn't protect Stephen. He doesn't do anything. Instead, he amps it up even more. He goes, why stop at one Christian? Let's get them all. You're like, oh, Saul, no. No, this is not how the storyline's supposed to go. The Korean drama that I've written for you is that you've, you don't do this. This is not what, what, how it works. You, no, you're ruining it, right? And here's the crazy thing. This is the insane thing about this, is that Saul goes on a genocidal rampage, starts going and killing and persecuting uh, the, the Christians of the day and the era. And he is literally digging a hole for himself in the midst of what it is. Because here's the thing, is that when you are living in an environment and a culture that is so strong and intense, it is very difficult to move against the flow. It is very difficult to move against the momentum because what you're looking at is hundreds, even thousands of years of history and then man's perversion of that very thing. And so when you're young, as a young man like Saul, you don't know whether you should push and you should go against it because you run the risk of being rejected. Can I tell you that there are half of the people inside of this sanctuary in this room where you have been in churches, you have been in environments where you experience the pain of rejection where there was a demand for you not to conform to the image of Christ, but to conform to man's ideology of what you should be. And when you did it, and when you asked a question, you were rejected and you were cast out for it, and it was cold out there. Like February in Alaska. Cold. And so the momentum to push and be a reformer is extremely costly, and it will cost you everything, and at times it's very difficult to make that commitment. But then there's this one situation that happens. Saul is on the road to Damascus, and we understand what happens. Jesus meets Saul on the road, knocks him off of his horse, off of his mode of transportation, his, his Jewish old historical version of a Tesla, you know, very energy efficient, you know, very good on greenhouse gases, depending on how you look at it. Knocks him, boom, gone. Off that Tesla. Out there. And he's laying there. And Jesus speaks to Saul. I believe that in this generation, in this season, there is an encounter with God's voice that is going to come to those that least expect it. And what it's going to do is it's going to expose the areas where we've been blind. Expose the areas where not only were we blind to what God is doing around us, but blind to our very nature and the call of what he's put within us. You see, if Saul had an understanding of what God had truly called him to, not in the context of tradition, 
but in the framework of what the Holy Spirit was doing in the moment in time. How many of you know that chances are he would have never stood by and watched Stephen die? He would have not persecuted Christians. But what we see is that when Jesus struck Saul blind, he finally saw for the very first time. He finally saw that his position was far below what God had truly called him to. And so the reason why I wanted to bring up the story of Saul was because, of, you know, he's just, he's the go-to for motivational speeches, I know. But here's the thing about it, is that Saul demonstrates so many things of what I believe God is going to begin to do this week. Because when Saul, all of a sudden, gets in that position, in that place where he's blind, you know what's interesting? He is now reliant on other people. He is now outside of his understanding. He's outside of his framework of operation. He's blind. And now what he does is he has to wait until the very body that he's persecuting comes to heal him. Because here's the thing, is that one of the things that the enemy will use to rob you of your capacity to leave, uh, to lead and to be able to grow the body of Christ is he will try to get you to resent the very same body that you're meant to bless but is also meant to bless you. So the first thing that I wanted to share with tonight is that we have to be willing to understand the magnitude of what it means for you to sit in the very seat that you're sitting in. That it doesn't matter how broken you are. It doesn't matter what you've come through or all of the things. God has put you in this seat because he says that I'm going to heal you by the hands of a church that is willing to go beyond the brokenness of your present and speak to the very future and the very destiny that's on your life. I believe that your time here at this conference is the Lord bringing the very same body that you thought was broken and dysfunctional and the cause for all of your problems to come and heal you of your blindness so that you can see the greatness and the magnitude of what God has placed on the inside of you. You see, because here's the thing, is that God doesn't look for perfect people. He looks for those that may be broken but are willing to unify with others to see his purpose fulfilled. One of the greatest plans of the enemy, and we'll talk about this at a later session, is to try to isolate you through victimhood, pride, and shame. Because he understands that your authority as an individual is nothing compared to when you're unified within a body that is ready to release the kingdom of heaven on earth. And so this is what I want to begin to share with you tonight is that God wants to show you the beauty of the church, the beauty of of what God has called to be the body of Christ. And so part of what we have to do, though, is we have to be willing to acknowledge our previous resentments. We have to be willing to acknowledge the fact that people are people first at times and Christians second. 
that there is something that happens on the inside of someone where when they're confronted with the issues of their life, sometimes they, they, they reveal the hurt on the inside of them and hurt people will hurt people. Hurt people will lash out. And they'll say nasty things like, you dress like a boomer. Oh, oh, your shoes don't match your pants. What is this, Lord? They'll say things that may be hurtful. But here's the crazy thing, is that the battle is not with the persecution or the mistreatment at the hands of others. It is the battle that is being waged inside of you asking you what reason or excuse you will settle for to give up on the greatness that God has put on the inside of you. You see, it is nothing to do with what people say about you. It is not anything to do with the rejection that people have towards you or the horrible treatment you may have received at other places or anything. It is what, are you, what is the value that you place on your own destiny and your own call. You see, the enemy will try to get you to feel like you are the sum total of your pain and your trauma. When in reality, what God is going to do in you this week is he's going to show you that the enemy has given it his best shot. The enemy has tried everything that he could to lie and place things in your mind, to do things inside of your heart, to cause people to act crazy when they should have been loving you and taking care of you. And the enemy gave it his best shot. And yet there's still a Joseph on the inside of you. There is still a Daniel on the inside of you. There is a David on the inside of you. And that you're going to begin to shake all of that resentment, all of that pain, all of that off and say, I am not rejected. I am not an outcast. I'm simply an exile that's coming home. You see, the enemy will try to make you feel like an orphan and a reject. But the Lord says that you're an exile that's coming back to his place of authority with a vision for a future that they don't see. You see, there's this interesting thing. I, I, always, love, I always love watching, like, cartoons back in the day, right? How many of you, like, are lo loving the fact that, like, Disney's doing these remakes of these old cartoons? The one thing that they haven't made yet is the cartoon version of Robin Hood. You know, where they're, like, foxes and, you know, and stuff. is like, like, when they do the remake, I want them to keep them foxes. Like, I don't want them to be humans. I want them to be foxes, right? Some of you guys that are in, like, this youth conference, you're like, dude, that's such a boomer thing to say. But it's true. It's true, it's true, it's true. There's this cartoon, and there's like Robin Hood as a fox, and then like all of this stuff. But here's what's interesting is happening, is that all of this persecution, all of the, the stealing from the poor and robbing of the poor is happening because there's this Prince John character who is an illegitimate authority that doesn't see the nation in the right way and just sees it as a piggy bank and something to exploit. But then at the end of the movie, what's interesting is that the true king, King Richard the Lionheart, comes rolling in with like a super, super big chest. You know, I was like, man, how much does he bench? Like even when I was young, I was like, whoa, that's like a 450 bench at least. He comes in. But here's the crazy thing that happens is that King Richard 
has been called to be king all along. He was simply in exile. And I believe that in this season, there are many of us, many of you, you thought that you were rejected. You thought that you had no place, you had no inheritance inside of the church and the body of Christ. And yet God is saying that maybe you were exiled for a season so that God could endow you with his power, that God could endow you with his vision, so that when you came in, you realize that you are entitled to an inheritance, that even though man has rejected you, you have an authority to be able to bring the true purpose of the nation together, the true purpose of the church together, and you're going to begin to rise in that position, in that place. You are not rejected. You are like a Joseph that was gone for a season. But what the enemy meant for evil, God has turned it around for your good. I want to invite you to stand up right where you are because I believe that what we're, we're going to do first off is that God wants to get us to change our perspective on what has been going on in our life. He wants to change the narrative that has been going on on the inside of you where you've been saying, oh, but I'm all of these things and all of these negative things are happening in my life. Because I'm really broken and I'm really screwed up. When in reality, the adversity in your life is not a validation of your dysfunction. It is a confirmation that you're on the verge of a tremendous breakthrough. You're on the verge where God's about to knock you off whatever vehicle you're on that you feel driven by that you feel that you have to settle for because you don't know anything better or anything else to do. He's about to bring in an encounter that feels like you're getting knocked off of a horse. But here's the interesting thing is that I believe that when Paul got his sight back, when Saul got his sight back, it wasn't just his natural senses that were awakened and it wasn't just the fact that he received the vision that God wanted him to have. Most importantly, I believe that God gave Saul his heart. God gave Saul, who manifested nothing but hatred and a cyborg-like dedication to the persecution and the pursuit of a religious order. And he gave that man, that robotic man, a heart where he's willing to die. Just like Stephen. Where all of a sudden he says, you know, I saw in front of me in that moment, I saw in front of me two two paths. And by the grace of God, he knocked me off of the path I had chosen and put me on the path of his purpose. You see, when you get a vision for the body of Christ, like, like Paul did. All of this resistance, all of this warfare and the things that you fight against and that you're, all of this pain, it begins to fade into the background because you all of a sudden realize that in him, in his love for you and what you can do in his body, you identify and awaken the deepest and the greatest potential that he's put on the inside of you. 
You see, the way that he will awaken your potential is he will awaken love inside of you. He will awaken his heart for you, his friendship with you. He will awaken these things in you. So that way, you can begin to truly see for the first time. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.